This morning, uh, we are in part four of a four-part series. We're wrapping up the book of Jude through our Open Your Eyes series, and it is entitled Awaken to Victory in Jesus. I want to begin by letting you soak a little bit in the security of God. Uh, some of you may be discouraged this morning and, and what I hope that you do is allow your heart to be soft and hear the verses I'm about to read to you. Even though in your Bibles, I want you to turn to Jude. It's going to take you a little while to find it. It's the second to last book in the Bible. As you are turning to Jude, I'm going to read two other passages. I just want you to soak in. I want you to allow them, uh, into your spirit to where you believe them as true. All right. If God's word says it, it is a fact. It is not how you think about it. It's not whether or not you think it is true. It is true. And there is encouragement for you this morning that is factual and true. Therefore, just allow these verses to soak in. Romans sixteen twenty five. Now to him, meaning God, who is able to strengthen you. According to my gospel, Paul said in the preaching of Jesus Christ. He can strengthen you according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. I memorize little axioms, little snippets of information that help make sense of my world. And one of those I would like to give to you again this morning. And it is this. He is able Do you believe that? I want everyone to memorize that. Just say it after me. He is able. All right. You lock that one in. He is able, whether you think he's able or not, he is able to strengthen you. That's what the verse just said. You say, but what if I'm a failure? That's not the point. The point is he is able to strengthen you. Well, what if I'm really low in a pit? He is able to strengthen you. What if you are completely caving in all your understanding of God and you feel like you're barely hanging on by a string? He is able to strengthen you. What if you just lost someone and you're crushed in your heart? He is able to strengthen you. What if you have lost your job and lost your ability to pay your bills? He is able to strengthen you. The bottom line is in his power, not in your weakness. He is able. Check out this next verse, Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, Paul said, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he is an overabundant, extraordinary and extravagant God, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. It's coming down through a chain of command. It is coming down through the Almighty Father, through the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, right into your heart. He is able to strengthen you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's the key right here in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to him, according to the power at work within us. 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He is able. It says that he is able to do far more than we ask or imagine. I don't know about you. You may be practical. Your imagination may be limited. I happen to be a personality and my life orchestration has left me with a vast imagination. Why? Because I largely grew up a nerd. There is a beauty in being a nerd. And let me tell you why. I, being a little comic book nerd and a person who loved fantasy novels, I lived in worlds that were beyond what I could see every day. And what it is, it expanded out possibility. I played imaginative games with my sister growing up, and we were always imagining and thinking of new things. I was introduced to Christianity from my earliest memories where there were things such as God and Satan, demons and angels, a reality of supernatural function outside of my world. I have always had a world that was bigger than what I could touch or what I could taste or what I could see. Therefore, my imagination is extraordinary, and if God is able to do more than I imagine, it's pretty impressive because I can imagine some extraordinary things. I can imagine about how if I lost everything like Job, how a God could strengthen me. I can imagine how that if I was completely fallen apart as the leader of this church and God would get me through, I can imagine that. And yet on all those things, he can do that and infinitely greater. I need you to understand that your limitation of imagination, your limitation of possibility is not God's limitation. You may look at it and go, you know what? God can't. Don't ever start with that. God can't save someone like me. Really? You're that brilliant to know what God can and cannot do. You know what? God doesn't understand. Don't tell me God can't. Don't tell me God doesn't. You don't know the limitations of God because he is infinite. Therefore, if he says he can, he can. If he says he is for you, if he says he can rescue you, if he says that he can deliver you, he can. Because he is able and your weakness does not shut him down. Your sin is not astounding to him. He is able. I understand that if you look in your own resources, you have a reason for insecurity. I know I do. I know that when I look, will I be able to carry out this pastorate for 30, 40, 50, 60 years? Will I be able to do that? In of myself, I have no faith. I don't know if I'm going to make it through next year. I don't know what I would do, but somehow I'll screw it up. I believe that in my life, when I look at the weight of temptation and sin in my life versus my righteousness, it's just not adding up, but it's not on me. It's on God. I can look at my sin and I can get overwhelmed. I can look at my sin and my habits and my addictions and my problems. I can look at all the weight that is against me and I can grow discouraged or I can realize the fill in the blank in front of you is true. And it's this. Jesus is greater than our sin. Jesus is greater than our sin. The Bible says greater is he that is within us than he that is within the world. That means even the enemy powers cannot touch God. 
He is infinitely greater. Do you understand when I use this word infinitely, it means forever greater. I'm not using this word lightly. I'm actually using it in its real term that God is infinitely. It is not 10 times. It is not a hundred times. It is infinitely greater, meaning that it is out into a world you cannot comprehend that God is that great. And if he is that great, and if he loves us, and if he sent his son to die for us, then we are okay. Our sin will not destroy us. Our sin will not sink us. Our sin may hold us back. Our sin may cause us frustration. Our sin may be dark, but no matter how deep the stain, our God is able to make it whiter than snow. That is what the Bible says. Turn with me to the book of Jude, if you haven't already. Under the seat in front of you is a Bible. It's page 1,027. 1,027. I'm just going to read through the end of the chapter from verse 17 because we're wrapping the whole book up. We have so many exciting things continuing to come up as we, as we are going through God's word. We have uh, amazing things coming in the, in the weeks right next. And so I, I hope you're excited about where we're at as a church. I hope that you're a part of all of it. Uh, if you have not made it a habit to be in church continually, I want to challenge you to do that as we wrap around the end of this year. Finish strong. Start strong. That's the way it's got to be for us. All right. We're going to miss something. Here we go. Verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to others. Show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore amen jump back to verse 17 let's tear it apart but you must remember he's already told them this this is not new the fact that bad guys were going to come into the church that was already a warning the apostles wrote about it Paul talked about it. Peter talked about it. And, and, and it was just over and over. Jesus said, you know what? The false teachers are going to come in and try to lead you astray. That was already out on the table. So do not be surprised. Notice he calls them beloved. This is the second time he does that. He's going to do it again. Why? Because he's explaining to them that they are loved by God and they are loved by him. I need to remind you that you are loved in this church, not just by God, but by me and by the staff here at this church, by the leaders of this church. Understand this is kind of how my world is orchestrated. I really only have two places where I ever am. 
I'm at home with my family, my extended family, and I'm with you. That is my whole world. You are my whole world. When I get concerned about things, it has to do with you. When I carry burdens on my heart, it has to do with you. When I am joyful and proud about things and bragging to other people, it has to do with you. Therefore, I could easily write a letter and call you beloved because I already know God loves you and I've already seen the demonstration in my own life that I love you. You are just as loved as the people in this letter. He said, I need you to remember, beloved, the predictions, the prophecies, the instructions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions, and they are the ones that are causing division. They are worldly people, and they are devoid of the Spirit. What does he mean, in the last times? Does he mean like the end times? Well, the Bible pretty much breaks down all of the world history in very big chunks. It's basically this. You have the Old Testament and then you have the end times. There you go. That's all you got. You got before the Messiah and after the Messiah. So that's kind of it. So the minute Jesus came down in the flesh and dwelt among us, we launched the end times. We launched the church age. We launched the end thing. So when you see those phrases in scripture, it doesn't mean, and it's happening right now, it's happening. It means it is post Messiah. In this time of post Messiah, now going on 2000 years, in this time, all these years and continuing forward, there's going to be bad guys. And they're going to sneak into the church and try to hijack everything going on. They will be scoffers. What is a scoffer? A scoffer is someone that thinks the whole thing is bogus. They treat it with contempt. They can laugh at it. Are there people in our world? Are there people in the church, the greater church today, that don't take church seriously and God seriously? Yeah, come on, right? That's it's called everybody else you know. Okay, where literally they look at this stuff, imagine them walking in here. And if this is you, obviously you're about to feel convicted as they would walk in here and they would look at all that we do and just laugh at it and make fun of us. Because here's really the reality of what it looks like to them. Okay, so the pastor comes up and he's got his little tie on and everything. Oh, doesn't he look cute? And he gets up there and then he's kneeling down before the Lord and oh, he's being so holy and everything. And they're playing the standard, you know, music of the day and they're just trying to get everybody into the right mood and they play it loud enough so we can't hear everyone's bad voices. Right. And then you've got all these people and they're up there and they're raising their hands. They don't even know what it means. Right. Do you understand? This is the heart of a scoffer. Oh, and then he talks about something he doesn't know. He keeps telling us these absolutes. That attitude, if it dwells in you, will shut your heart down from the blessings of God. It's just not acceptable. There will be some that will come into the church and they will look at it from that perspective. Therefore, the only reason they are here is for their own needs and manipulation of others. Why else would you be here? You're getting something from us. They will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. There is nothing about God in their world. They make up all their own determinations from their own worldview. 
what they received from TV, what they were taught from their ungodly friends. And they look at this world as if it is only flesh and temporal. There is no self-control. They are driven by what they want. It is these who cause divisions. Not just divisions like splitting the church kind of divisions. Not like I'm going to gossip to this person so that person hates that person. Those are all divisions too and they'll do that. But they also create divisions within Christianity. When someone does not take the church seriously and they think they get to make all the rules, they begin to manipulate and use it for their benefit and they create the haves and have-nots. If I want to go back to one of the most radical examples, I would talk about a cult leader that took everyone to Jamestown, right? You remember this? This whole cult following where leading everyone astray, wanting everyone to benefit him, Jim Jones. And there he began to tell everyone that they were the special people. And that they only had more access to him and he could teach them the deep things of the world. And that like every cult, he began to create the haves and the have-nots, the us versus them. And they began to culminate together and ultimately what did he do to them? They were all murdered. David Koresh in Waco, Texas. Heaven's Gate cult. It always creates, uh, we have this special little connection. That's what bad guys do. The problem is, is that all cults have been started by Satan lying and twisting scripture. Scripture does say that there are those that are in the family of God and out. It does say that narrow is the way to life and broad is the way to destruction. Then Satan twists that and goes, and in that small group, we can also be an even more powerful group with exclusion. Understand, and I want to be very clear about this in Bridgeway so that we are never slipping into the cult fashion. You have every right to question authority here. We are all in this together. We are a family And you know what? We are not the only church in this area that is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are one of many. And there is a grand body of Christ out there. And there is beautiful, wonderful servants in other places doing awesome things. We do not have the corner market on God. What is happening here is a blessing and it's awesome. But God is doing just equally wonderful things in other places. And you have every right to call each other out and you have every right to question me. It's how it goes. It says that they would cause divisions. They are worldly people devoid of the spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. It says that when you invite Jesus into your heart, that God makes his dwelling there. That's called the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's the only way you can get saved. And you must have it. These guys are not misled Christians. These are bad guys coming from the outside trying to use the church. But you, on the other hand, but you, my beloved, reminding them of the love and their identity. But you are not like them. And now we start getting into family business. What should we be doing? But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep 
yourselves in the love of God. Wait eagerly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What does that mean? Well, the first phrase is a little troublesome. But you, beloved, building yourselves up, does that mean we're in charge of all of our faith? No, it means there's things you can do to build yourself up spiritually and stuff you can do to tear yourself down spiritually. I don't think that's rocket science. I think we're all pretty clear on that. You are here because you believe that. You are reading the Bible because you believe that. You are praying because you believe that. There are things you can do to enhance and connect with your heavenly father. And there's things you can do to hijack that whole situation. So, beloved, what we must do is do things that help us grow spiritually. For example, isolation is damaging. Community and fellowship builds you up. Reading only secular literature will dry you out. Reading God's word will bring vitality. Only hearing that other people pray and not praying yourself will destroy you internally. Praying, even though you don't get it all, but being connected to the Heavenly Father matters. So there's things you can do to build yourself up in your most holy faith. Christianity. Holy means it's different. It's weird. It's set apart. That's how it's supposed to be. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, there's two sides of it. There is praying in the manner of and praying according to. Praying in the manner of is the more basic side of it, which is just as you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you are praying in the manner of Jesus Christ. You are praying as Jesus Christ would, according to his will. And the same way you do that with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit... What do you desire? What do you will? What do you reveal in your scripture? I'm going to pray according to that. Then there is the matter of praying according to his power. This is the part where you walk into the odd. This is the part where you're getting downloads from the Holy Spirit. You are praying back to God in the Holy Spirit. This is the part where we're walking into a world where we don't have it all sorted out. This is the the Spirit interceding through you, talking to the Father, the Bible says. As a matter of fact, let me see if I can grab that scripture right here. It says, Romans 8, 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what for what to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There is a certain degree where the Holy Spirit says, kid, you don't even know what you're doing. And we got some serious business to handle. Do you mind if I take over here? Do you mind if we do this together and that power behind you of the Holy Spirit, that engagement with the heavenly father through the spirit that is critical and important as we are building ourselves up, as we are connecting with God through the Holy Spirit, as we are doing all these things that keep us vibrant and alive, keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, that's, that's unsettling to me as well. Keep yourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? Does it mean God's love is moving and you've got to kind of keep in it, right? So wherever the spotlight moves, you've got to stay in the spotlight, right? 
Oh no, he moved over here and I got, I got to chase God because I got to keep myself in the love of a moving God, of a shifting God. That doesn't sound right. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God is constant, how would we not keep in the love of God? I thought the Bible said that nothing can separate you from the love of God, neither height, nor breadth, nor principality, nor power, right? Neither death, nor life. None of these things can separate you from the love of God. So what does he mean? How do we stay in the love of God if he always loves us? I think we have a semantics problem. I think we have a words problem. Here's why. I'm going to answer it by dropping a bomb on a difficult passage. So I'm going to answer it by making everything more complicated, and then we'll get back to it. Ready? There's a phrase in Romans that Paul says where he's highlighting that God can do whatever God wants to do. And he says this phrase, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Do you remember this? Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. These are twins. These are Old Testament twins. Now that just sounds rude. Really? You just love one kid and you hate the other? God says that we should not be favoritism. We should not do it. Why is God loving Jacob and hating his own creation? Semantics. Let me change the words a bit for you. Here's what it means. Love means favor. Hate means no favor. Here's how it looks. Jacob, my blessing is pouring out on. Esau, I have withheld my blessing upon him. That's what it means. Doesn't mean that God does not love Esau. You'll find out he actually blesses Esau and does a lot of things with Esau. But he was making a practical statement. Jacob was blessed. Esau was not blessed in the same way. All right. Now, if that is true, let's go back to this. It says, remain, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the favor of God. Keep yourselves in the stream of his blessing. And you go, well, why wouldn't I? That's dumb. I don't know. Why wouldn't you? That is dumb. Well, if God's, I mean, if if he's moving his stream of blessing and I got to go chase it. No, no, no. He's constant. Then who's the one moving? We are. How do you keep yourselves in the love of God? Jesus called it out. John chapter 15. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll stay in my favor. If you obey my commands, you will stay in my blessing. And you go, well, see, that's my point. You're saying it's performance driven. If I do the right things and put in the little coins, out comes all the blessing. You know what? I think that's bogus. Hold up. Remember, it's a lot like a dad with kids. I pour out blessing on my children. If one of my daughters punches her sister in the face, blessing stops. Yeah. We are now in a whole different mode. The whole other mode is called discipline. And what is my point in discipline is getting her back aligned underneath the flow of blessing. Do not deviate. Do not slip out of that and do your own thing. Don't go out of your way and be selfish and mean and nasty. Don't go out and be doing the sinful things. Why? Because then dad has to turn off the blessing, go into discipline mode, shut down all the fun, then get your heart right. Then he can turn on the blessing again. Remain in God's favor and love and blessing by doing what he asks you to do so he doesn't have to stop it all and do discipline. Does that make sense? 
keep yourselves in the love of God. And for all believers, we are to wait eagerly with hope for the undeserved favor and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, our master and king that leads to eternal life. Okay. The point of this portion is to say there is something, there is a part that we do in our salvation and sanctification. You go, well, I thought everything was done by God. Oh, no, no, no. All the important stuff's done by God. Let's get that very clear. All the heavy lifting is done by God. But there is an element to where he said, hey, I've got everything for you. Remain in my love. Don't depart from me. You cannot do anything without me. Stay with me. Let me give you a story on how this kind of works. Paul, the apostle was a prisoner and he appealed to Rome. And so he had to sail from one part of the world over to Italy. And before he got on the boat, God said, Paul, this trip is going to go poorly. So he says to the pilot, Hey, captain, this isn't going to go well. I'm just telling you a quick heads up. And the captain goes, okay, real quick. What do you do for a living? Well, I'm a tent maker. Oh, I see. Are you a prisoner? Yeah. All right, then shut up. Okay. I know how to run my ship. Don't tell me what to do. So they take off when they take off. Guess what happens? A bunch of storms and it takes them from location to location. Everything's blowing up. They're throwing out their cargo so they don't sink. They're throwing out the tackles so they don't submerge and everything is breaking apart. They're in despair. They're it's 14 days long. All hope is lost and Paul has to keep encouraging them. And he tells them an angel came to me and they're like, oh, great. Here goes that Christian guy again. An angel came to me and said, I got to get to Rome. And so y'all are covered with me. And they're like, oh, well, thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. So they keep hanging on. Finally, Paul said, I believe so strongly that God is going to save us. I will eat the last bit of my food and throw the rest overboard. I encourage you guys to do the same. Let's just lighten this whole thing because we are about to be rescued. They throw it all overboard and run into more trouble. When they run into more trouble, the sailors decide to lower the lifeboats and bail out. Going, listen, I'll just let all the prisoners die. Y'all can die in the ship. We're taking off and going on the little lifeboats. Paul said, I warn you right now. Here's what God told me. This ship will be saved. I will be saved. But the only way you're going to be saved is if you hang out in the ship. If you trust in something else and get out of the ship and bail out, you're done. Stay in the ship. Well, they let the lifeboats go and they trusted him, got in the ship. Guess what happened? It ran aground and everybody got to land safely. Stay in the ship. What do we do? We stay near Jesus. If you if you walk away from Jesus, trusting in something else to save you, that's not going to work. It's not a matter of where Jesus has to go. I'm going to save you. And all I do is drag you everywhere. Now, will he drag you sometime? Yes, of course he will. I mean, has he not been doing that already? Absolutely. God is incredible and Jesus will save and rescue those who are his. But understand this, your job to remain in blessing is to stay in the ship and stay near God. We must do that. It says this. And another thing you need to do as Christians, have mercy on those who doubt. 
save others by snatching them out of the fire. And others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. What's he talking about? When bad guys come into a church, they mess a lot of people up. What are you supposed to do with those people? Are you supposed to say, oh, well, you know what? You guys blew it. You guys fell for the false teacher thing. So bye-bye. We don't need you anymore. You're a joke. We all stayed strong. You caved. Is that what's supposed to happen? Are we supposed to cross that division? If they are believers who have been led astray by somebody, they need your love, not your judgment. Therefore, he said, have mercy on those who doubt. Be nice. God gave mercy to you. God extended mercy to you. Be nice to those who get astray in your midst. In this church in Bridgeway, let's say some of us get off on our theology and do something totally weird and messed up. You don't just write us off. You love us and gather us back in. And you hang on to us. That's what community is. It means that you hang on to one another and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing, man? Others, he said, snatch them from the fire. That's called radical rescue. You know, they are literally hell bent on going the wrong direction. Dive in there and go, stop. I'm going to get in your way. You're not going to do this. Let's say somebody is just because of all the chaos that happens in a church has said, you know what? I'm never going to church again. I expect you as their friends to go over to their house and say, if I need to forcibly put sweat on you, I will get you here because you are not quitting on me. That's never going to happen. He said, the other thing is there's some people that when you got to go rescue them, you better be wise and keep the fear of God in your heart. Why? Because while rescuing them, you may be lost. Let's say you start uh, realizing there's a group that's caught up in bad theology and all you do is spend your time arguing with them. They finally come back to the faith. And then two years later you leave because you let all that garbage soak into your head. Listen, if you're going to try to rescue someone that's drowning, make sure your feet are secure or else you're not helping anyone. Every doctor has to take precautions in treating someone with a contagious disease or they're going to contract it. Our compassion should be high, but it should also be equaled by our wisdom. We must rescue one another, but not be lost in the process. Then he says this, probably the the best part of this whole thing. Look at verse 24. Now in conclusion to him, to God, who is able, who is able in his power to keep you. He kept the bad guys for judgment. He can keep you for salvation. Now to him who is able to keep you from slipping and falling away spiritually, from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. What can he do? He is able not only to keep you from slipping. Are you going to slip? Yeah, when you step away from him, you're going to sin. But the Bible says there's a solution to him who will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us all in righteous, of all unrighteousness. There is always ways where God scoops us back in and brings us back in. That is true, but he can keep you as you are obedient to him. He can keep you from slipping and stumbling. 
But even more than that, even greater than that, it says he can present you blameless to the father. How in the world is that going to happen? Uh, do you ever think about what it's like when Jesus comes back? I have, unfortunately, too much fear about that. In my own life, I think about what is wrong with me and what can be rejected and the shame and the pain and all that stuff. And I think about that, about the return of Jesus. What Pastor Jude here says is God is able and Jesus is able to make you pure, spotless, and holy so that with great joy, he presents you to the father perfect. It means that he's bigger than your sin. It means that he's bigger than your failure. It means that he is able to cleanse you from all of it and make you right. So that when Jesus Christ comes back, you look at yourself and you are shining white because of the blood of the lamb and you can run and go in for the hug. See what I'm saying? Is it's not the cowering, what about my, Jesus said, died for that. What about that? Died for that. What about that? Died for that. It says that he will make you whiter than snow. The Bible even says in Revelation 17, it says, who are all those people standing there in white robes? He said, those who have been made clean by the blood of the lamb. If you are a Christian and you have submitted yourself to Jesus, his cross has purchased you beautiful white righteousness and perfection. And he is able to put those clothes on you. Let me tell you a story. Zechariah, the prophet had a vision one day. This is old Testament. And he saw his high priest, a guy named Joshua, his high priest was standing in a courtroom scene. He was in soiled clothes and at his right hand, there was Satan accusing him. You can imagine what he was accusing him. Oh, the high priest of Israel where it's falling apart. Yeah, nice leadership. You were only screwing around. You didn't get anything done. You didn't honor God rightly. You messed up in every way. You're a failure. You don't deserve any of this. And all of a sudden God says, stop. And he says to his angel, he said, bring him new clothes. And there Joshua had his old clothes removed. He did not change his own clothes. An angel did it. And put on brand new white clothes and a brand new white turban on his head. And God looked at him and said, there, I have cleansed you of all your sin. You're pure in my sight. Satan, you got nothing on him. Go home. We are made righteous because he is able. I know you don't feel like you're going to cut it. I know you feel like you're going to fail and never be able to make it. I know that you, like me, have days when you want to walk away. I know that you're challenged like I am and the weight of this world makes it feel like I don't want to strain anymore to be God's man or God's woman. I get it. But he's bigger than your faithlessness. He's bigger than my caving. Listen, the truth of scripture is this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And he who predestined you will carry it all the way to glorification. 
we must believe God at his word that our weakness won't ruin his beauty. That is why this whole book closes with these lines. Now, to our only God. Understand that Trinitarians are monotheists. To our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glorious brilliance that is beautiful. May it be majesty, the royal beauty where he is greater than all, his magnificence and greatness. May all dominion, power and control and authority, the right to exercise that power. May all that be to God before all time. It always was like this. It's like this today and it will continually be forever. Amen. What's the point? Why do we give all the glory to God? Because it's all his doing. And if it's all his doing, then your failure is not going to wreck it. And your weakness isn't the end answer. Now to him who is able to save you from yourself. Now to him who is able to restore you to perfection. Now to him who is able to deliver you from the darkest and deepest pit. Now to him who is able to keep you on the path of righteousness. Now to him who is able to break through your addiction cycle and get you saved anyway. Now to him who does not lose any that are given to him. Now to him who holds you tight to his chest and doesn't allow the enemy to destroy you. Now to him who allows you to be broken but not ruined. Now to him who can rescue at any time. Now to him who will take you home when he is ready. Now to him who went and prepared a place for you so that you will be with him forever. Now to him be all the glory. Today, we need to have a lot more encouragement. We need to have a lot more excitement. We need to have a lot more victory. Why? Because it's not on you. It is on him and he will get you home. He will be the one that will be greater than your sin. Amen. And that is why we praise Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a beautiful reminder that you are able, that Lord, that in our weakness, in our failure, even as believers and even as rescued ones, even as saints, Lord, we have the ability to ruin it all, but yet you are greater than that and you are more powerful than that and that you can rescue us from ourselves. We want to praise you for that. We want to thank you for that. We want to take solace in that. We want to be encouraged by that. So Lord, Let it soak down into our hearts that you are the one that is worthy of all our praise for you're the one that does it all. Be glorified in us in Jesus' name. Amen.